Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 39. Here Come the Macedonians. Athens, Sparta and Thebes had had their turns. Each had risen to become the most important polis in Greece, and each had fallen away after defeat in battle. By the mid-350s BC, all three of them were weakened by constant unnecessary war, and it was time for someone else to step in. If that someone else happened to be well-organised, ambitious and clever, maybe he could build an empire stronger and better than anything Athens, Sparta or Thebes had managed. He was, and he did. Enter Philip II of Macedon. Before we hear about Philip and his victories, though, we need to wind the clock back a few years and find out a little about his kingdom. What was Macedon, and who were the Macedonians? The ancient region of Macedon was to the north of the Greek world, north of Thessaly and south of Thrace. The land was fertile and very rich in natural resources, including gold and silver. There is some debate as to whether the Macedonian people were Greek or not. The language was Greek, but with a few differences. The Macedonians, though, did not develop the same culture, and they did not form city-states in the way the southern Greeks did. They were considered barbarians by the Athenians, Thebans and Spartans, and not really taken seriously. It is said they were descended from settlers from Argos, and that in 504 King Alexander I had to prove he was descended from the Argives so he could participate in the Olympic Games. Macedon was always ruled by kings. It had no history of democracy. The first king mentioned is called Caranus, who ruled about 800 BC. There is not much evidence of his existence, though. Macedon was ruled by kings from this Argide dynasty for hundreds of years, although it fell to the Persians for some of this time. During the reign of Alexander I, Macedon freed itself from Persian rule and became independent. During the hundred years after the death of Alexander I, the men of the dynasty fought bitterly with each other over the kingship. By the year 390, there were five kings, as the Argides killed each other off with astonishing regularity. Bits of Macedon fought against each other, and the region was very unstable. It wasn't until the reign of Amintas III, which ran from 393 to 370 BC, that the people were brought together properly. The united Macedon had the city of Pella, as its capital. Amintas brought Macedon into closer contact with the rest of Greece. He supported Athens against Sparta when the Athenians demanded the return of a city on the North Aegean coast called Amphipolis. Amintas III managed to die of natural causes, leaving three sons, Alexander, Perdiccas and Philip. The throne fell to Alexander, the eldest. He, though, was assassinated by his brother-in-law Ptolemy, who placed Perdiccas on the throne. As Perdiccas was too young to rule, Ptolemy became regent. As we have heard, in 368 BC, Ptolemy sent the youngest of Amintas's sons, Philip, to Thebes as a hostage, in order to keep the peace with the dominant city of the times. Philip was released in 365 BC, and returned to Macedon. Perdiccas had had enough of Ptolemy by 365, and had his regent killed. He then ruled in his own right. His reign lasted only until 360 and was mostly spent fighting against local tribes like the Thracians and the Illyrians. He was killed in battle, trying to retake some of northern Macedonia from the Illyrians. He was succeeded by his baby son, who became Amintas IV. Philip became regent for the young boy, 
but had no intention of allowing that situation to continue. In 359 BC, he deposed his little nephew and became King Philip II of Macedon. Unusually, though, he didn't have the little boy executed. Philip was an unusual Greek leader. Because Macedon was so close to the barbarian kingdoms to the north, he was quite at home with barbarians. If a barbarian ally cut the head off of one of his enemies, Philip rewarded him with a gold cup in a ceremony called Heads for Cups. Macedonians were not allowed to wear a belt unless they had killed an enemy in battle. Macedon was much more barbaric than southern Greece. What made Philip unusual was that he had spent a lot of time in Thebes. He loved Greek art and theatre as much as battle. It was this combination of brutality and culture that made him the star he became. Philip started his reign by uniting Macedon and getting rid of any family members he thought might challenge him. He then drove back the Illyrians who were trying to invade and forced them out of his territory. It was here that he first showed his diplomatic skills. Instead of trying to destroy the Illyrians, which he probably wouldn't have been strong enough to do, he showered them with presents. All the Illyrians really wanted was some of that lovely Macedonian gold, so Philip gave them some and they went home, satisfied and peaceful. Philip took six wives and was soon joined in marriage to Thessaly, Epirus and Illyria. He didn't divorce any of the wives before marrying again, he simply collected wives as he went about his business. Philip had made a lot of friends when he was in Thebes and he cultivated these friendships. He held parties for the Thessalians who liked to have fun. He gave gifts to the Athenians who liked nice things. Pretty soon many of his friends were in powerful positions in the polys of Greece. Philip used these friendships well. While being nice to his friends and neighbours, Philip made many changes at home. He reorganised everything in Macedon so that everyone became loyal to him and him alone. He created the king's bodyguard, made up of incredibly loyal soldiers. He created jobs for loyal people, such as the king's secretary and the king's page. More importantly, he created a proper army. By 358 BC, his army numbered 10,000 soldiers who were equipped with a terrifying new weapon. It was known as a sarissa and was a 5.5 metre long pike. The Macedonian troops were trained hard and learned how to use this huge and unwieldy weapon well. A Macedonian phalanx looked like an enormous, very dangerous hedgehog. The pikes were so long that the Macedonians could wreak havoc on an enemy front line before the enemy had a chance to fight back. The men of the Macedonian army were different from those of other Greek forces. Philip made sure that good soldiers got promoted and became good leaders. It didn't matter who you were, it only mattered how good you were. The king improved the cavalry. Previously, a man could only join the cavalry if he could afford it. Philip changed this. If he thought a man was good enough to join his horsemen, then he provided him with enough land so that he could afford it. Philip as much as he liked art and theatre, had a passioning for engineering and science. He created a team of engineers who were told to design and build huge catapults and siege engines. By the time he had finished his reorganisations, the Macedonian army was the greatest in Greece. Philip, though, was too clever simply to march southward and go conquering. He didn't want all of Greece to be against him. Philip II of Macedon was a master at picking the fights he could win at the time he had the best chance of winning them. By 357 BC he was ready. He marched into the disputed city of Amphipolis and threw out the Athenians. 
In 356, he had a great year. He defeated the Illyrians, again. His horse won a prize at the Olympic Games, and his wife, Olympias, gave birth to a healthy son. This son was named Alexander. Philip then saw his chance to expand his territory southward. As usual, the bickering Greeks brought it upon themselves. What gave Philip his chance was another dispute over the running of the sanctuary of Delphi. The small city of Phocis got a bit uppity about some land near Delphi and how it should be used. It caused them to move in and occupy the ancient sanctuary. Of course, the governors of Delphi were furious and called for the occupation to be stopped. The Phocians were supported by Athens and Sparta and opposed by Thebes and Thessaly. The Thebans started a war to free Delphi but found they were not strong enough to finish it. To finish it, they needed help and they turned to their old hostage. Philip II of Macedon marched south with his scary pikemen. In 352 BC, Philip and his hedgehog of death stormed into Delphi and completely destroyed the Phocian force, who received no help from Athens or Sparta. Philip had the Phocian general crucified and then forced 3,000 mercenaries to kill themselves by jumping off a cliff. Clearly, here was a man who meant business. The Thessalians were so impressed they invited Philip to become their leader. Philip II of Macedon was now ruler of the largest territory in Greece. He controlled all of the north coast of the Aegean and land right down to the border with Thebes. Thebes was a worried city. Athens and Sparta were not much happier. Philip considered invading southern Greece but was put off by two things. First, Athens and Sparta had their armies ready to face him. Second, there was the little matter of getting through the pass at Thermopylae. Philip was well aware that 300 Spartans had kept the might of the Persian army out of Greece for a long time by defending the pass. Philip contented himself by harassing Athenian grain deliveries and threatening their access to the Black Sea. In Athens, one man stepped forward to oppose Philip. His name was Demosthenes and he was a legal expert. He had been born into wealth but his parents had died when he was young. His guardians tried to steal his inheritance, but as a very young man he won most of it back in court. Demosthenes, more than anyone else, realised that Philip II of Macedon would end life as they knew it if he wasn't stopped. In 351 he spoke loudly in public, declaring that Athens and all of Greece must resist the Macedonians. In Athens, though, not everyone was against Philip. As we know, the king of Macedon had many friends in Greek cities. One of them was an Athenian called Aeschines. Aeschines spoke up against Demosthenes and in favour of Philip. Opinion in Athens was split between those who supported Demosthenes and those who were on the side of Aeschines. The two men fought against each other and the fight was ugly. Aeschines called Demosthenes' mother a barbarian from the Black Sea. Demosthenes said that Aeschines' mother was a low-bred, worthless common woman. Demosthenes said that Aeschines took payment from Philip to speak up for him. Aeschines retaliated by saying that Demosthenes was being paid by the Persians. The two men insulted each other over and over again. Demosthenes even tried to accuse Aeschines' friends of treason and attempted to get them arrested and judged in court. Philip, meanwhile, got involved in affairs in Sicily and bided his time waiting for his opportunity to come south. Philip of Macedon was a master of tactics. There is a phrase which goes like this, hold your friends close and your enemies closer still. 
Philip understood this very well. In 346 BC, he approached Athens and started talking about a peace treaty. This was a masterstroke. All at once, Demosthenes was unable to argue that Greece should face up to Philip and oppose him. After all, who could possibly be against a peace treaty? Worse than this, Demosthenes was forced to go with Aeschines to negotiate the agreement. Philip was delighted. Armed with a peace treaty, he marched into central Greece and into Delphi. There, he was offered a seat on the governing council. Macedon had taken a massive step forward. Philip spent his time at peace with Athens, grabbing territory in Thrace and Asia Minor. Soon his lands stretched from Thessaly to the border with the Persian Empire. Philip was doing well, and was determined to ensure that he had an heir to carry on after he died. It was clear that his son Alexander was made of the right stuff, and Philip was keen that Alexander got the best education he could buy. He found the right tutor. Alexander was taught by a philosopher called Aristotle, one of the cleverest men who ever lived. We will hear a little about him in the next chapter. Philip then went on a tour of the Peloponnese. There he met with his friends and other leaders of the Polys. He used his great charm and diplomatic skills to persuade the Polys of southern Greece that he could protect them if they allied with him. Most of the cities jumped at the chance. Here, they thought, was a chance to escape being dominated by Athens or Sparta. Demosthenes spoke beautifully and cleverly about how bad a thing this was. Nobody outside Athens listened. Demosthenes then tried to have Aeschines tried for treason again, but his rival was found not guilty of all the charges. Demosthenes was then sent to Byzantium to try and negotiate an alliance with that important city. Byzantium stood at the entrance to the Black Sea and was very important in ensuring Athens got its regular supply of grain. He was successful in his mission and returned to Athens in triumph. Opinion in Athens started to swing his way. Philip was concerned, probably for the first time. He marched to Byzantium and tried to take the city, but failed. The position of Byzantium made it easy to defend, and the Athenian fleet was there to help. Philip withdrew for a bit of a think. It was clear, though, that the peace treaty was at an end. Macedon and Athens were now officially at war. In 339 BC, things got difficult in Delphi again. The Greeks had clubbed together to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed by an earthquake. The Athenians, too big for their boots as usual, hung shields on the temple walls, as they had done in the previous temple. Things were different in these days, though. The small city of Amphissa objected saying the temple didn't belong to the Athenians and they had no right to hang shields. Aeschines was sent to Delphi to argue the case for the Athenians. He did a very impressive job. Not only did he manage to convince everyone that Athens had done no wrong, he also talked the Greeks into declaring that Amphissa had offended the gods and a holy war against the city should be declared. The council agreed and Philip II of Macedon was chosen to be the general who should lead the war. Philip marched south once again. Once again, he had been invited to march south, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. He crushed Amphissa, and then took another city, only a couple of days' march from Athens. Philip, it was clear, was intent on defeating not only Amphissa, but Athens and Attica as well. Between Philip's lands and Attica, though, was the land of Boeotia, and which city was at the head of the Boeotian Confederacy? Yep, Thebes. Philip gave the Thebans an ultimatum. 
You Thebans can join with me in waging war on the southern Greeks, or you can be defeated yourselves. Join me, or die. In Athens, Demosthenes rose up to speak. It was time, he said, to stop this barbarian Macedonian. It was time to face the might of Macedon. It was time to tackle Philip II. This time he was successful. Demosthenes was dispatched to Thebes to persuade the Thebans to reject Philip's words and join with Athens against him. Macedon sent an ambassador to Thebes at the same time. Now, we have to look at this from the Thebans' point of view. On the one hand, they were being offered the chance to join in with the Macedonians, who were quite obviously the most powerful Greek state. They could help Philip and be very well rewarded. On the other hand, they were being offered the chance to join with Athens, with whom they'd been at war for most of the century, and fight the most powerful army in Greece. They should have sided with Philip. Amazingly, Demosthenes spoke so well that Thebes sided with Athens. This was very, very, very foolish. On the 2nd of August, 338 BC, the armies of Thebes and Athens lined up to face the might of Macedon. The battlefield was the plain of Chaeronea in Boeotia. Many other cities, including Corinth and Megara, also supplied troops. Only the Spartans were noticeably absent. It is said that Philip had an army of 30,000 infantry and 2,000 cavalry. The combined forces of the Greeks numbered a few thousand more, although nobody is quite sure how many. At the head of the Greeks stood the Theban sacred band, never defeated in battle. The Macedonians were led by Philip and his 18-year-old son, Alexander. Among the Athenian troops stood Demosthenes. There is not much known about the battle itself. All we know is it was hard fought and very hot. What we do know, though, is that Philip II of Macedon emerged victorious. Not only did he emerge victorious, his victory was crushing. The sacred band were slaughtered. Never before had they been defeated in a battle, but at Chaeronea they were wiped out. At the site of the battlefield today is a monument to the Thebans called the Lion of Chaeronea. Archaeologists have excavated the site and found the bodies of the sacred band members who died at the battle. Remember, there were 300 of them. At the burial site there are 254 skeletons. Many of the bones still show the marks of the Macedonian pikes. The sacred band was utterly destroyed. 10,000 Athenians also died and over 2,000 were captured. Demosthenes ran away. The victorious Macedonians entered Thebes. The leaders were thrown out and pro-Macedonian leaders were installed in their place. A garrison of Macedonian troops was installed in the city. Nobody was under any illusions. Thebes and the rest of Boeotia was now part of Philip's empire. Philip was much more lenient with the other polis. He toured Greece making peace with the cities and installing Macedonian garrisons for, he said, their protection. And what about Athens? Athens had led the Greeks against him. Surely he was going to punish Athens severely. But no. Instead, he sent Alexander and his best general to Athens. With them, he sent all 2,000 of the prisoners he had taken. The prisoners were returned unharmed to their city, and Alexander simply asked for peace. The Athenians were amazed and delighted. Instead of being severely punished, they had been given peace. Philip then formed what was called the League of Corinth, an alliance of all the Greek cities, except, of course, Sparta, with Philip as their leader. The cities were forced to swear an oath. Some of it still survives. It goes something like this. 
I swear by Zeus, Gaia, Helios, Poseidon, and all the other gods and goddesses. I will abide by the common peace, and I will neither break the agreement with Philip, nor take up arms on land or sea, harming any of those abiding by the oaths. Nor shall I take any city or fortress nor harbour, nor shall I depose King Philip or his descendants. It was clear that Philip was in charge. He had most of Greece under his control. This, though, wasn't the end of his ambitions. He may have been proudly in control of Greece, but that wasn't all he wanted. Nope, control of Greece was only a step towards his real aim. Philip II of Macedon intended to invade Persia. We will hear about Philip's planned invasion of Persia in two weeks' time. Next week, we'll take a brief tour through some aspects of Greek philosophy, starting from the early days and ending with Alexander's tutor, Aristotle. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would be very grateful for a favourable review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact me, please do at mythandhistory at gmail.com or on my Facebook page, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, until next week, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.